a great, great truth that our great Lord came at the best time, and He comes at the right time when we need Him. There's no doubt about that. Have your Bible. Now hold your Bible up for me real good. you got the Word of God, this great sword of the Spirit. Now you all know where we're going with this thing. I encourage you to bring your Bible to the house of God for a lot of reasons. I encourage you to read your Bible. If you've been reading your Bible this week, keep holding it up. Well, a lot of you are reading your Bible. If you'll read it, it'll help you. You have your Bible this morning. Psalm 15, the 15th Psalm. When you find the 15th Psalm, if you're physically able to do so, I invite you to stand to your feet with me, please, out of respect of God's Word, Psalm 15. While you're standing, Brother Jared want to remind you teenagers that there is a teen banquet this Wednesday night, and parents, you all need to remember that would be Wednesday night as well, so keep that in mind. All right, Psalm 15, I'm going to read all five verses this morning. Then I'm going to have you read one of those verses with me as a text verse. Psalm 15. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly, and worketh righteousness, and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt, and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. Let's go back to verse number 1, and I want us to read verse number 1 together. It is the text verse for this morning. You ready? Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? There are two questions here that David is asking God. And he's asking God about some things. And you're going to find five requirements that God gives as an answer. And I've entitled this message this, for, this uh, morning, Five Requirements Needed. Five Requirements Needed. Let us pray. Father, we thank you today for allowing us to be able to come and have this time we could be together in our house. And Lord, we've enjoyed the fellowship of the Spirit of God in our Sunday school hour, and Lord, the fellowship of thy people. And Lord, we've had a good spirit this morning in our singing. And Lord, we've now come to this portion of the service and the bread of life has been broken. And once again, I stand here in thy house before thy people and I recognize again my inability and my unworthiness to be here. And so once again, oh dear Jesus, I would ask you to forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me with the precious blood of Calvary that I could be a vessel fit for thy service. Holy Ghost, I pray you'd fill me with power that I can preach in such a manner that every person here would feel this message is for them and them alone. And Lord, may the lost be saved, the saved be challenged, the discouraged encouraged, the backslidden reclaimed, and above all things, may Jesus Christ be glorified, for it's in His name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord began to deal with my heart about this particular passage of Scripture this week and this psalm. 
And you find that David is asking a question. Now, by the way, I thought about that. I thought, who's David? We talk about the psalmist David, and we talk about him and who he is. And, and I began to think about that, and I thought, you know, here God is using David. Who is David anyhow? And, and so I want to give you a, a little bit of a definition of David. Open your Bible to Second uh, Samuel chapter 23. Second Samuel chapter 23 and verse number 1 is probably the best definition that can be given about who David is or was. Still is. He's still alive. He's in heaven. Let's look at this. Second Samuel chapter 23, verse 1. Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, And the man, uh, the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel, said... Now here we, we find just a qualifying verse about who David is. These are his last words. And this 23rd chapter is a great chapter. But I'm interested in who he is. Well, he's the son of David, or son of Jesse. Uh, but he is a man that's been lifted up by God. Been anointed by the God of Jacob. He is the sweet psalmist of Israel. You'll find that David, uh, God used him to write most of our psalms were written by David. You'll find that a lot of those psalms were written when David was in some sort of distress. There's something going on in his life. He was a man like, uh, like we are. He had troubles and trials and heartaches and tribulations. And in the midst of all those things, God uplifted him and comforted him. And you'll find a lot of the psalms were written whenever David was having problems. You'll find a lot of the psalms, even in the problems, there's praise where he's praising God for his goodness and his power and his mercy and even you'll find some Messianic Psalms where God tells David about the, some things about the coming Messiah. In this particular Psalm, David is seeking instruction. This man that was raised up on high, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the anointed one of God, and he's asking God a question. It's phrased in two things in that first verse, and it says, Lord... That's how I know it's to him. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? And who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He said, Lord, just who is it that's going to have fellowship with you? And who is it that's going to be able to walk with you? And Lord, who is it that you're going to take care of and bless? You see the question? By the way, it's an interesting question. It's a question that really all of us ought to have. We ought to want to know what, what it takes for God to move in our lives. That's what David's asking. You're going to find there's a five-fold answer in this psalm, but it ends with a promise, and I want to go to that promise and then back up on these things. Look, if you will, at the last, uh, the last thing in uh, the verse number 5. He that doeth these things shall never... Be moved. Isn't that a great truth? God, God gives him the answer. He says, Lord, and he asks who it is that God will bless. And then God gives him five things. And then he gives him a promise. And he says, now if you'll do these things, you'll never be moved. There's great truth in that. I thought about that in more ways than one. We're often, as human beings, we're trying to seek things that will cause our lives to be on an even keel. Uh, we, we don't like the, uh, uh, to be moved and shaken, and we don't like things to be uh, messed around. And 
We, we want things to be good. And by the way, you, you'll understand that if, if you're not there already, you'll understand when you're a parent or grandparent. You really want things to be good for your children. And you want your children to not be moved and you want them, their life to be stable. And, and, and David's asking, Lord, how can that be? And God says, now if you'll do these things, you'll never be moved. Now what is that? That doesn't mean, by the way, that we won't have troubles and trials and tribulations. I mean, Job was a man that did these things that we're going to list. And yet there was a time in Job's life that he had problems and trials, but God brought him up out of it. And there's a great truth in that. So this morning, if I'm looking and asking God, God, what are you after in my life? If you're asking this morning, God, what is it that you're after in my life so that I am not moved? So that no matter what happens in the world around me, I don't lose my peace. I don't lose my contentment. I don't lose the things that's really important. What, what, what is that? How do I have that? You're going to find that God gives some answers here. Now before I get into the answers, I want to look at something. God deals with us according to our actions. One of the things that I'm afraid that we are losing in the day and age in which we live is, is the fact that we have a, a great mighty God. He is a loving God. He is a merciful God. He is a gracious God, and He extends grace to us. He extends His love and His mercy to us. We're undeserving. There's no doubt about that. And He loves us more than we'll ever really comprehend, I don't think, until we get to heaven, really. But the truth of the matter is, He is a God that deals with us according to our actions. Now, I want to prove this, and then we're going to talk about the requirements and why they're important. You're in Psalm 15, turn back to Psalm 1, the first psalm. It's a great psalm. It's one of these psalms that I quote often for a lot of reasons. But I want you to notice this psalm, verse number 1. Now watch what it says. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but is the light is in the law of the Lord, and in His law do they meditate day and night. And He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth His fruit in His season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever He doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish." Now, in, in this first psalm, he divides it into two groups. We, you, you and I are going to find ourselves as either righteous or ungodly. And that righteous means you're trying to follow God. Notice what it is. I, the first two verses give it. There, there's something he says. He says, now listen, uh, you, you're not going to uh, walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You're not going to stand in the way of sinners. You're not going to sit in the state of scornful. By the way, that's actions. He says, you're not going to live yourself walking in the counsel of ungodly people. You're going to find the counsel of God's people, and you're going to follow that. Uh, you, you're not going to find yourself uh, standing in the way of sinners. You're not going to uh, have fellowship with folk that they're doing something wicked outside the will of God. You're not going to sit in the seat of scornful where you begin to be self-righteous and judgmental of everyone around about you. And all you're ever doing is just a scornful attitude. And no one ever suits you. and No one can do it right. And, and you're never pleased and satisfied with anyone. 
those are bad things. God doesn't want any of us to be, have those actions. And then he tells me in verse 2, how that I can have what God wants me. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and is it law that he may take day and night? He says, but the word of God will help you live right. And then he gives you the ungodly. And he says there's two different, two different ends of these people. The ungodly are going to be blown away like the chaff. They're not going to be able to stand in the judgment. They're not going to be able to stand when God deals with them. And you find that the righteous are going to stand. Now here's the truth. God deals with each one of us according to our actions. Now I know that God's a loving God and I'm glad He is. I know He's a forgiving God and a gracious God and a merciful God. And I know He is. And that's a, I'm grateful for that. None of us could be saved and none of us could have anything from God if He wasn't. But half-truths sometimes get us in trouble. Half-truths are really total lies. There's great truth in that. Every once in a while I deal with somebody and they give you a half-truth. And they know that what you're thinking is one thing, but they're not telling you all of it. Because they know if they told you all of it, well, you'd have a whole different view of it. And every once in a while I hear people give these half-truths. And they act like that they're biblical truths. One of the things is, now, hang with me and listen to me. Let me finish this. I hear people say, well, God loves me as I am. Very true. But there's sort of a half-truth in that. Most time when people say that, they say that when they're living in some sort of sin. God loves me. And I've had people say to me, well, God loves me. And then they'll mention this, even though, true, God does love you. God does love you. But even though God loves you and God died for us, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You'll never be saved till you call on the name of the Lord, even though He died for you. Great truth in that. A half-truth, God loves me as I am. Yes, He does. He doesn't want me to stay as I am. God loves me as I am. I can come to God as I am. But God wants me to repent and become righteous. You say, how long does that take? Well, as long as you live. There's great truth in that. I mean, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. First John 1 John 1.8 says, great truth. But God still deals with me according to my actions. He deals with you according to your actions. Now, He saves us by His grace and mercy, but He deals with us according to our actions. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. There's a great truth in that. God says to you and I, I'm going to deal with you according to your actions. So the question is, how can I have the blessing of God? David said, Lord, who? Who is it? That is, uh, shall be able to stand. In thy tabernacle, who shall dwell in the holy mount? God says, all right, David, you've asked the question. I'm going to give you five requirements. Doesn't mean God doesn't love us. It just means that God says, if I'm going to bless you, and you're going to do what I ask you, and, I'm going to, and you're not going to be able to be moved, you're going to have a, a heart that's content, and a heart that has peace in it, then I'm going to give you some things you've got to do. Number one, look back at, the, at verse number two. He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness 
and speaketh truth in his heart. Now that's one thing. It all revolves around that very first thing where it says to walk uprightly. So the first requirement is that I've got to walk uprightly. Now by the way, that doesn't mean uh, from a physical thing that I've got to stand on my feet. But it uses that connotation. It's not something that's crooked, something that's bent over. It's to stand straight, to walk uprightly. Now then, put something here. We're coming back to Psalm 15 quite often. But I want you to go to Job 1 with me. Now in Job 1, as I was looking for a passage of Scripture that described that requirement of walking uprightly. Well then Job 1, instantly the Lord began to open my heart about Job 1. There's two verses I want to get, verse 1 and verse 8. Now I want you to notice what it says. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Now in verse number 1 we find a little description of this man Job. Uh, we find where he lived. He lived in the land of Uz, and he was a man that uh, uh, he, he, he walked uprightly, and he eschewed evil. He feared God. Now if I'm going to walk uprightly, it's that I have got to walk in the fear of God. <laughs> Not only, <coughs> excuse me, if I've got to walk in the fear of God, I've got to eschew evil. That means I've got to, I've got to see what is evil, and I've got to stay away from it. I've got to find out what God says is right, and, and I've got to do that, and I've got to find out what God says is wrong, and I've got to say, I'm not going to be a part of that. Now, now that's what God says was upright. You say, how does God say that? Well, look at verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect man, an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? So if I'm going to walk uprightly, and if I'm going to... That, that is a requirement that God gives. If I want God to work in my life, and I want God to bless my life, and I don't want to be moved with the things of life and what goes on in life. By the way, a lot of things happen in life. A lot of things happen to all of us. We have things happen to us sometimes that we don't like, and things we wouldn't have chosen, and things that we would have said, well, God, if it's okay, we can just skip that. Uh, but how in the middle of all of these can we still have the peace and have the contentment and not be moved? Well, first of all, it starts with walking uprightly. Job was a man that walked uprightly, and he feared God. Now, I, I, I wrote a couple things down here. That walk uprightly means to not deviate from the truth. If I'm going to know what it means to walk uprightly, I've got to have a book that I put faith in. I've got to have something that I know is the truth. And I read the truth. And I say, this is what God said, even if I don't understand it. Right as we were singing here this morning, and there's a thought come, and I was thinking about a couple things, and, and, and a verse of Scripture came to mind immediately. I was thinking about something, actually, and I thought... I probably shouldn't say this when we're doing that. I was sitting here thinking about something, and I thought, Lord, I had that wrong. I know y'all never do that because you get it the first time. But I'm thinking about something. It has nothing to do with what I'm saying right now. And I thought, Lord, I had that wrong. And, and that caused me to think of something else. And I thought, and I said, Lord, I'm sorry about that. It took me years to realize I was wrong. And the Holy Spirit said, Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. You know what our problem is when we lean to our own understanding? Whenever we lean to our own understanding and we begin to think, I know what is best, instead of finding out what God says is best. 
I know what needs to be done rather than finding out what God says needs to be done. You see, that's walking uprightly. But whenever that I walk to Mike's understanding, it causes me to deviate from the truth. And he gets me in trouble. You notice he says, I've got to walk uprightly. And that, that means to fear God and eschew evil. That means I'm not deviating from the truth. By the way, you notice in the last part of that verse, in verse 2, it says, he speaketh truth in his heart. That's interesting. Uh, you, you go back to it and, and look at it. Speaketh the truth in his heart. That's interesting. If I'm going to walk uprightly, I've got to speak the truth in my heart. You see, we, we see that word, speak the truth, and we think, well, that's like what I'm doing now. I'm speaking, and I'm, I'm preaching, I'm trying to tell people. That's, that's, he says it's in your heart. So in other words, I'm doing what Psalm 1 said, I'm meditating day and night in the Word of God. Now, if I want God to bless me so that I'm not moved in the things of life. And by the way, the older I get, the more I want that. I just want to, Lord, who's going to dwell in thy tabernacle? Who's going to dwell in thy holy? I want to know. God says, Mike, I've got a requirement for you. I've got five of them. Actually, the first one is you've got to walk uprightly. So I've got to make up my mind that I'm going to fear God, eschew evil. That's what Job did. God said he was upright. I've got to make up my mind I'm not going to deviate from the truth. And I'm just going to do what God says do. And I'm going to walk uprightly. Number two. Oh, number two, it, it, it's an interesting thing. Look at verse 3. Psalm 15, verse 3. Now, notice the whole verse goes in one thing. And notice what it says. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. Now, I begin to look at that verse and say, Okay, Lord, now what's that requirement? I understand walking uprightly, but then what, what are you trying to say to me in verse 3? And eventually, after writing a few verses down and looking at it and studying it, little phrases, I mean, I wrote down this phrase, not a gossip. Boy, there's a great truth in that. You see, I want you to notice this, this verse and see what he's saying in it. You see, one of the things that God's looking at in my life and your life, and God requires out of me, He does require me to walk uprightly, but God requires me not to be a gossip. And by the way, all of us have trouble with our mouth. I mean, James says, the tongue is unruly evil that no man can tame. I wished I could tame mine, but there are times that it gets me in a lot of trouble. And uh, I'm sure yours does you also. But one of the things that I must be careful of is not a gossip. Now go back to the passage, and I want you to see a couple things. And then we're going to go to New Testament text, and we'll go prove something. And it says, He that backbiteth, backbiteth not with his tongue. That word backbite means this. Uh, it, it means to speak evil of someone when they're not present. That's a great truth. Uh, in other words, uh, that, that if I'm not going to be a... You, you know what gossips do? They always talk about someone when they're not there. They never talk about them when they're standing there. By the way, that almost be a biblical principle. If I've got something against someone, then God says I'm to go to them and speak to them to their face. Uh, but if I talk about someone behind their back, then that's gossiping in God's eyes. I have people say, well, it's true. It doesn't say if it's true, it's okay. You see, whenever I'm 
talking about someone behind their back trying to run them down. God don't like that. My great-grandma Hale used to say this when I was a little kid. Somebody would be at her house and they'd be talking about somebody else. And before she had let them finish, they wouldn't get to finish. And my, grandma, my great-grandma would look at her, and she, usually some other woman friend of hers, and she'd look at her and say, a dog that will carry a bone in will carry one out. Now some of y'all don't understand that. But in other words, she was saying, you're talking about them behind their back in my house, and when you get to their house, you're going to talk about me behind my back. A dog that will carry a bone in or carry one out. There's great truth in that. Great truth in that. You see, what God expects out of us is, is to, to, to not be running others down. You know why? Because we're all sinners. Not trying to make making ourselves look good and somebody else look bad. One of my favorite preachers made a statement one time. It stuck with me. And I thought about that. It, it is a pathetic thing when one piece of clay thinks it's better than another piece of clay. That's all you and I are. There's great truth in that. But you notice a couple of uh, words it uses in this verse. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. Now the question is, who is my neighbor? It's a great question, is it not? What, what does that mean? Because people say, oh, you know, they're, they're my enemy. They're not my neighbor. Or I don't know them. And they're, uh, Does that give us the right to talk and gossip and say those things? Well, that question was asked to the Lord. And I want you to open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is dealing with uh, uh, some things of this nature. And we'll start in verse number uh, 27. And Jesus is dealing with uh, how to live. And uh, uh, he t- and there's something here. Jesus has asked uh, this lawyer a question, and then we'll start back in verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, "Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life?" And he said to him, "What is written in the law? How readest thou?" So this guy's asking a question. Luke chapter 10, and there in verse 25 and 26, Jesus says, "How do you read the law? What do you see in the law?" And the guy answers the question. Verse 27. And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. See that little phrase, thy neighbor as thyself. By the way, those two things, all the law hinges on those two things. Loving God and loving your neighbor. Now, Jesus answers him. Verse 28. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do and thou shalt live. And here's what all of us are willing to do, what verse 29 said. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? <laughs> you, you, you see, that's what. Do, do we not get into that all the time? This guy's willing to justify himself. He knows he's doing something he shouldn't do. He knows he's treating others in a manner he shouldn't treat them. But he's trying to justify his own actions. Well, we do that. We talk about people all the time. And, the Lord said not to do it to my neighbor, and we justify it. We ask the same question. Well, who is my neighbor? Well, fortunately, the Lord gives us the answer to that. And I want you to notice what it says. Verse number 30, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and uh, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came, uh, came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side, and likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. And, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and 
bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own uh, beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay. Now which... Now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Who is my neighbor? Ah, oh, it's some guy I don't even know. Some guy that's just got some problems. You understand that? So if I go back to Psalm 15 and I get the second requirement, not a gossip. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, when it taketh up a, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. I can't be a gossip. I've got to learn to keep my mouth shut. You say, well, preacher, you know, I just... People all the time say, well, you just need to know this. Why do I need to know it? Why do I need to know it? I don't need to know it. Why do I need to say it? I don't need to say it. You see, the truth of the matter is, there's not a one of us that's perfect. And if everything that you and I did that was wrong, God spread it on a big screen. There wasn't nobody like any of us. We wouldn't even like ourselves. And if I'm going to meet the requirement of what God wants to do to not move, so I won't be moved, number one, I've got to walk uprightly. Number two, I'm not a gossip. Man, we've got to work on that. Keep reading. Let's see what the third one is. You're in Psalm 15 again. Look back, if you will, in verse number 4. And you're going to see, uh, we're, we're, we're going to see the third one. And it says this, In whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that feareth the Lord. Now what is that? It contemns evil. What does that mean? How, how is that different than the gossip? As we, we see something and we contemn the evil. What is the word contemn? Now look up the word contemn, and here's what it means. It despise, to despise and consider despicable something ungodly. To despise and to consider despicable something ungodly. That's what it means to contemn. There's a lot of things in life that we look at and we say, that is a wicked thing. That's a wicked thing. I mean, someone that abuses a child, that's despicable. It's ungodly. Just that, just that thing. You understand what I'm saying? I just used... That example. There's things we look at and say, That's, I, just, that, I contemn that. But let me give you a verse of Scripture that will help us with that. Open your Bible to Psalm 103. Psalm 101, excuse me, 101, verse 3. Psalm 101, verse 3. And I want you to notice what it says. And if I'm, if I'm going to have the requirements, I've got to walk uprightly, not be a gossip. I've got to contemn that which is evil. By the way, honor that which is right. But what does it mean to contemn that which is evil? Psalm 101, verse number 3. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. You know, if I'm going to contemn that which is evil, I've got to, I've got to not set it before my eyes. In other words, I've got to separate myself from it. I say, that's not right. I'm going to be a part of that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to walk away from that. You say, if I want God to bless me, and I do, and if you want God to bless you, and I have an idea you do, you probably wouldn't be here. There's some requirements. Number one, He wants me to walk uprightly. Number one, He wants me to not be a gossip. Number two, He wants me to contemn that which is evil and honor that which is right. Number four, go back to Psalm 
15. We didn't finish the last part of verse number 4. I want you to notice we'll read the verse and I'll emphasize the last part of it. In whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. What does that mean, swear? It's certainly not, uh, in, in one respect, talking about cursing. If you go before a court of law, they make you stand and give an oath. You're swearing that it's true. And there'll be, you'll have to hold up your hand. Used to, you had to place your hand on a Bible. And you would solemnly swear that what you're saying is true. That, that word swear has to do with making a vow and saying something is true. And he says, you know what, someone that God says, you know what a requirement I've got out of you? I require you to walk uprightly. I require you not to be a gossip. I require you to contemn that which is evil. But I also require you to swear to your own hurt and change not. What does that mean? Open your Bible, if you will. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Open your Bible just a little bit. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, I want to get verses 4 through 6. I want you to notice something about vows and swearing something to God. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 4. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow, than thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? By the way, God says, it's better I don't swear at all than swear and not keep it. In other words, I'm going to make a vow to God. By the way, there are times that you and I make statements. I remember the first vow I ever made to God. I've made several. By the way, you make them to people sometimes too. But I remember the first vow I ever made to God. I was 14 years old. I was in a service like this. A man's preaching against alcohol and the wickedness of social drinking. And by the way, it is wicked. And there's nothing good about it in any shape, form, or fashion. At the end of the service, he gave an invitation. And there were several of us went to an altar and made a vow to God we'd never drink liquor. My wife's great truth in that. That thing has served me well down through the years. It was a vow to God. You know the bad thing about that? There were several folks my age, give or take a couple, three years, made that same vow that same day, and they broke that vow. And some pretty bad things has happened to some of them. You say it's because you think it's because of that? It'd been a whole lot better not to make it than to make it and walked away from it. Oftentimes I've made vows about things and said things to God, I'll do this or won't do that or whatever it may be. And later on think, man, that was stupid. You ever done anything like that? I do stuff like that. Y'all probably don't. You're smarter than I am. And do stuff like that. And you know what? Verse 5 always had my attention. Verse 5 is one of these verses and it says, you know what? You say you're going to do it. You better do it and don't be a fool. I've made vows to God about things and when I finally got out of it, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Doing exactly what God told God I would do. It's what I told somebody else would do. Swearing to your own hurt. And change not. You know what God's looking for? You know what God requires out of me? To walk uprightly. Not to be a gossip. Contemn to evil. And swear to my own hurt. 
and change not. A lot of things in life that I've learned some tough lessons because I promised somebody I'd do something. When I got into it, it's like, man, I shouldn't be a part of this. Or promised them I'd do something. It wouldn't work good. My goodness, I used to, before I was full-time pastor, I did a lot of work uh, contracting and doing things. I've said to people before, hey, I'll do this for this amount of money. And all of a sudden, Elizabeth says, you're an idiot. You can't do it for that amount of money. Well, I said I would, so we are. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what this passage is saying. If I want to be where God wants me to be, and I want to fulfill the requirements, I've got to walk uprightly, not be a gossip. Contemn that which is evil. I have to swear to my own hurt and change not. Number five, and we're done for this morning. Go back to Psalm 15. I want you to notice verse number five. And we're going to see something in verse number 5 that's an interesting verse. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. Now, what in the world is that? Well, that usury is actually making reference to interest. Reward against the innocent is mean taking advantage of somebody when they're down. Isn't that interesting? Now, here's the great truth. God is saying, listen, I want you to recognize that I've blessed you. And when somebody else is in a worse condition than you are, don't take advantage of that. Because all of us are in worse condition than God is. And all of us needs His help and His uplifting. He doesn't take advantage of that. He helps us. Now, how do I do that? How do I get my head wrapped around what this means? And I simply jotted this little phrase down. Have mercy on the poor. How do I do that? Go to Proverbs, the 19th proverb. And in Proverbs 19, I want you to go to the uh, 17th verse. Proverbs 19, verse number 17. We'll see something. Proverbs 19, verse 17. It's an interesting verse of Scripture. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord... And that which he hath given, will he pay him again? God said, I'm going to tell you something. If you'll have mercy on those that's worse off than you are, don't you take advantage of it. Don't, don't you loan to him and then make him pay for the rest of his life with it. Don't you do that to him. Don't you take advantage of them when they're down. Don't you do that. If you will have mercy like I have on you, I'll bless that. So there's a great truth here. I go back to Psalm 15 and I say, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Lord, I want your blessing. I want that. I want that for my children, my grandchildren. I want that for my family and friends. I just want that for people. I want that. How do we have the blessing of God? How do we have that? And God says, all right, I got an answer for that. There's five requirements. Five things I want you to do. I want you to walk uprightly. I want you not to be a gossip. I want you to contemn that which is evil. I want you to swear to your own hurt. When you say you're going to do something, do it. 
regardless of what it costs you. I want you to have mercy on those that are worse off than you are. And then notice verse 5, the very last part of it again. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. There's the promise. God said, you do this. You do this. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. And by the way, I can't bargain with God and pick one or two of those things out and say, God, I really don't like that. I tell you what, I'm just going to strike this one out. And God up in heaven is going to say, no, you ain't. These are my requirements. These are my requirements. If I want God to bless me so that I'm never moved. And by the way, that doesn't mean I won't have problems. It doesn't mean I won't have life happen to me. But it means in the midst of all of it, I have peace, contentment. I have the a peace that passes all understanding. I don't want to be moved and destroyed. I follow the five requirements. And God made me a promise. He made you the promise. He made anybody a promise, he'll do it. But if I don't follow them, he didn't promise me that. I'll probably reap what I've sowed. Because God does deal with us according to our actions. What a great truth. Five requirements to not be moved. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I appreciate you being here. I'm preaching a message.